The Christian life was and will always be a life of faith in God. That's the way it was intended. You know, uh, if you would think of it this way, how many of you need help? We all need help. We do. And that's the whole point of our relationship with God. God doesn't want us to go out doing all of these things in our own strength, and our own power. He wants us to go know that he's with us and he wants to communicate with us as we go through the day, as we carry out the work that he's called us to do. And he wants us to know that we're loved and we're cherished. Now, I want to just start off with a scripture, Mark eleven, twenty-two, And the word of God says, and Jesus answered them saying, now what is he answering them about? It's about the fig tree that he cursed. He had gone by that, he went to see if there were figs on it, there were not on it, and he said to that tree, may no one eat of you anymore from this day forward. And they came back a, a day later, and that tree was dried up from the roots. It was dead. And they said, hey, master, look at that tree. And he said to them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not believe in his, does not doubt in his heart, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. That's an incredible promise. Whatever a person says to a mountain will be picked up, carried away into the sea. And because he has faith and no doubt. How many of you have read that passage before? I think most of us have. How many of you ever asked the question is, uh, how can I ever attain the kind of faith that takes mountains and casts them in the sea? Do I have that faith to do that? Can I do that? And the answer is we, we get shaky. I know I'm in a, a, a particular uh, trial right now, going through some stuff with my own family, my, with my daughter. And I have to tell you how difficult it has been just to get people on the same page. I'm talking about family members. Oh, they're all Christians. They're all believers. But what happens is as things change and you see things, you see wavering. People, they waver. They begin to lose faith. And then they say, well, no, they don't. And then you hear some of the things that they say. And I said to my family, I wrote, a, wrote them a text. And I said, enough. I don't want to hear one negative thing. And what we want to hear is the word of God coming out of your mouth. That's what we want to do. So everybody's shaping up right now. It's a tough battle. But I believe that we will come out of this. In fact, I know we will come out of this victorious. Why is that? Is it because I have such great faith? 
Well, the truth of the matter is I have faith in a great Savior. I have a God that's a mighty God that can do all things. And when I see my God as the one who's in charge, I begin to be able to, how would I say, be at rest as we spoke about last week, the Lord's rest. I can begin to look at things and see the turmoil around me, and then at the same time I can now come and be peace. Why? Because my God is there with me. He's with us. He upholds us. So, again, it's my prayer today that God would answer this question that people often raise, and is, how can I ever come to this place? You know, it's one thing to say we need to have faith. It's another thing to have faith. Now, why do some people have so much faith? Now, this guy, Murray, he was a very interesting guy in this respect. Well, a lot of respects. His sermons were so different from the, the theology of the church that he was a member of that when his writings were available, they withheld them for over 50 years. They wouldn't release them for 50 years because they were so radical. He had more on faith and more on a relationship with God than anyone else. And quite frankly, uh, I was in the uh, library at the seminary at Gordon-Conwell, and I was uh, kind of taken by surprise, but there was Andrew Murray's book there on, you know, the, uh, on, on Hebrews. And so from a theological standpoint, he is accepted as a theologian. And his, you know why his word doesn't go flat or wear out? Because he's preaching the word of God. The word of God will remain forever. It's true. We can rest in God and his word. So again, he comes down here. And how are we going to learn this here? He has this incredible uh, promise that he's given to his disciples. I hear an echo back there. Is that bothering you guys out there? Yeah, can you, can you see if we can get rid of that echo somehow, please? Lower it down or something because I, I hear it back in my ears here. So anyway, um, the answer to prayer, he, he spoke another word which points out where, faith, where the faith in the answer to prayer uh, takes its root. Where does it begin? Where does our faith begin? Where do, where, do we, where do we have a plant? You know, it's like a plant. Jesus compared faith to the mustard seed. You have a plant. And you put the seed in the ground, I should say. And then the seed grows, it takes root. But the seed plant doesn't just stay there because it brings up a little bit. It keeps growing. So that root is strong and then the plant continues to grow. So the ability to be, believe a promise depends entirely on and only on faith in the one who promised. I want you to think about that. Sometimes we get God's word and we're all excited about God's word. We're saying God's word says, God's word says, and then things go wrong. And then we say, well, what, what, what happened here? I don't have faith. No, God didn't fail. We fail. We fail to, to hold fast to God. We don't see God as, as he is. So God, when we spend time with God in his word, that begins to work in our heart. Faith takes root 
and we begin to grow in faith. Our faith begins to grow. Well, what is it in our word that causes our faith to grow? Well, one of the things is, is it's in association with God himself. In other words, a relationship with God where we learn how to walk with God, believing in him, conversing with him throughout the day, having a real conversation with God, listening, learn how to listen. We'll go through a number of these things in a moment. But what it is, it's a person-loving communication where we present, and I do this every day. I said, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I present my body a living and holy sacrifice unto God, which is my reasonable service of worship. And I, and I, I, I think about that, that I might not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of my mind that I might prove that right is good, right, and holy. And not to think more highly of myself than I ought, but as each one has been given a gift to exercise that in, in humility, literally. And as I go through that prayer each day, I'm reminded that I don't want to stay the way I am. I want God to work and change me. Because we all need to be changed because the goal that we have is to be like who? Yeah, not like the pastor, not like brother so-and-so. There might be some people out there that we can look at and say, oh, they're, they're wonderful Christians. But the goal that we have is to be like Christ. And uh, we usually make that clear on Sunday before we even start the marriage, uh, the uh, message. But uh, it, it's important to understand that. So our bodies are a living and holy sacrifice. And we're there vulnerable to God. You know, when you do that, you have to realize that uh, when I say present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God, what I'm actually saying to you is be vulnerable before God. Be open before God. No, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect, but we're all on our way. And if we don't let God in, and we don't let God search our heart, we'll stay the same. We won't change. But if we open our heart and we let God in, then he begins to work in us. And he moves in us and deals with us <clears throat> step by step. So as we're looking at this, we want to talk about the connection now between faith in God and faith in his promise. You know, again, we have all kinds of teaching out there on faith today, and a lot of it is, well, they name it and claim it, gab it and grab it and all of this kind of stuff, and people try to turn God into a, uh, a genie or some sort of a celestial Santa Claus, and it comes up, yeah, every once in a while, they, they hit the jackpot, they're believing but the big thing that needs to change first and foremost is us. No matter what you do, I haven't read that book that Derry was talking about yet. I haven't given it my, my look over there, but I just want to say that the thing that always seems to change, need to change with me, is not the other person, but it's me. Isn't that heart-rendering? I mean, 
Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, dear. But seriously, and that's what happens. We find that it's, we lack patience. Uh, you know, as I listened to a guy, he was a, uh, I think I mentioned it last week, but he was a, a songwriter and a performer and Christian performer. And he said, you know, and they were interviewing him. And he said, well, how, how is it different now? You're married, you got three kids and all of this. And he's going through it. And he said, well, you know, he said, I always thought I had a lot of patience. Then I met my children. And things changed. Okay. So, as we look at this here, um, we want to talk about how we're going to develop this. And one of the other things is, it's not just the word that we, that we need, but also we have to have a, a, a listening ear. So let's move on with this and the connection between faith in God and faith in his promise. It'll become clearer as we go through the message and we understand what faith really is. It's, it's often compared to faith that is hand to mouth. Well, somebody gives you food, it comes to the mouth. God gives, I take, I receive. That's how it works. You mean it's that simple? Yeah. It's that simple. As long as God's giving, I should be able to take it and, and receive it. Take and receive. But how do I get to that point where I can take and receive? What's necessary? And, and what I find here is this. It's also the ear by which I hear what his plans are. What he wants. And so here's, here's the thing that's very interesting. When you look at the Word of God, and some of this confession's a very important part of your life, confessing God's Word. But I want to tell you that listening, the listening to God's voice, listening for Him to speak to us, there's three times more references to listening, to hearing, than there are to confession. And both are important, but it is in the hearing that we receive from God and are able to change. Now we have the opportunity to practice obedience. In other words, this is what God says, and am I going to do it? Am I going to walk in the Spirit? Not a bunch of laws, but walk in the Spirit. And what is His plans? That's the other thing. What is it that I can... What, what does God plan for me? Now you say, well, I've got the Word of God. Yes, I do have the Word of God. And that should be enough, right? But at the same time, that word has to become real to me. I, I have to hear that word in my heart because I need faith in my heart. I need a faith that's not going to doubt. And I can talk about the word of God. I can preach about the word of God. But I have to be able to hear what God says. And I, I like he said this, which really kind of hit me. He said, the ability to take... Okay, so he said this. I, I love this one part here, if I can find it here. He said the most thing that he wants to do is that we hear the tone of his voice. And I sat there scratching my head. I said the tone of his voice, and we see his countenance, and we, and we hear the tone of his voice. And I started thinking, okay, God spoken to me in, uh, audibly, on one, two, three, three, four occasions, 
in my life where literally the voice of God was audible it, it, it to me it was from the outside coming in. And I have to admit that in three instances, he, the word came differently. In one instance, it, it's, it's almost like he lost patience with me. I know that sounds crazy, but it, that's the way it was. And it was something that I was complaining about. As a matter of fact, it was my, my late wife. I was complaining about, we were married seven years at the time, and I was complaining about some things that had happened, and she probably couldn't be a more perfect person, but the fact of the matter was, I demanded perfection in every area of life. It was pretty tough. That's how I grew up. And you know, the, the interesting thing was, I can still remember that night, I said to him, well, what am I going to do? And my, my prayer to him was, where do you want me to go? Do you want me to take her, send her back to her parents with the three kids, and, and you want to do this, or, or should I leave, or whatever? I mean, that's how serious this was with me. And then a voice came out of the night, a gentle voice, and the voice said, love her. And I said, but, but God, stunned me. But I said, but, but God, look at this. You know, this happened and this happened, you know? And the voice came again. He said, love her. It was still tender, but it was a little bit more harsh. And then finally, I said, Lord, it's like there's a block of ice lying next to me in bed. I mean, not he said, and then the voice came strong. I said, love her. That's it, scared the hell out of me changed everything immediately. And I tell you what, it was a long way back for me, but we got back. And I learned how to love. I learned how to appreciate this woman that God had given me. And I think we all need to learn how to appreciate our, our spouses more than what we do now. There's always a, you know, I mean, if they can put up with me for this long, uh, and Derry can put up with me for this long, certainly she should receive some sort of a reward for that, right? <laughs> okay. So the tone of his voice. Then I thought about that further. And I said, you know what? I realize that when I'm praying and I'm in the Word and I'm conversing with God, and I hear things, in other words, in my spirit, it's, it's like we're having a conversation, I hear things, that there is a, a, a how would I say, a, a feel for that also, where you're, you're listening to God and God's speaking to you, and you get the, his intent. You know that you're loved, for one thing. You, you have this idea of, of someone that's speaking to you that is loving you. Somebody that cares, somebody that wants to, to bless you. And it's, it's interesting, but you can hear that in the spirit also, the tone of his voice. I really uh, kind of smiled about that one. That was really interesting. And now the other thing is, if we continue to think about it, when we talk about the ability to take or receive a promise from God, you have to hear the person who made the promise and you have to hear his voice, his inner voice, into our hearts. Remember what it says in Romans 10, 17. 
<clears throat> faith comes by what? Hearing, right? And now hearing is a little word, akoe in the Greek. And it means this, to bend down the ear, to listen closely. God, what are you saying, God? And then it says, and faith comes by hearing and hearing. Hearing comes a second time, doesn't it? So this is bend down the ear again. Yeah, but now the word takes on a different meaning. It has a spiritual meaning. It means to hear in the innermost parts of your, of your heart. So in other words, faith comes by hearing, listening to God. Think about it. Isn't that about relationship? What's one of the biggest complaints women have with men? They don't what? Wow, look at that. That's about unanimous, isn't it? Okay, they don't listen. Well, they don't listen. And you know that when they're not listening, how does that make you feel? Disrespected, like you don't matter, you're unimportant, and this and that. Why? Because the football game is more important than you are. Or something else is going on around you that seems to be more important. But you know this, when there's somebody who you respect and you love, you want to hear what they have to say. And so relationship with God is, see how important that is, is that we're bending down the ear. In other words, we're in the Word of God. We're communicating with God in the Word. We're listening to God. We're reading the Word. We're thinking about the Word. We're meditating on the Word. We're asking God about the thing that we're reading. And then one day... You hear the voice of God right in your heart. And yes, the thing that's on that page is real and it's real for you. It's just an amazing thing. But that's how God has decided to work with us. So you might say God's giving, so we have to receive. But in order to receive, first we got to hear. This is for you. I want you to have this. This is what you need. And we listen, and then we receive. Now, again, I want to talk about seeing God. Do you know that each and every one of us, the church, if you wanted to know what the church is here to do, remember I said we have to be like Jesus? Well, if you would look at the prophecy in Isaiah 60, I believe it is, or you would look at what is spoken of in Luke. Hey, when Jesus takes the word of God from Isaiah and he reads it and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel. And he goes through a list of things to heal, set free the captives, heal the brokenhearted, uh, preach the gospel to the people, etc. When you look at that passage, that's your ministry. That, that is what you are individually called to do. So what do you mean? Well, exactly. If you're going to be conformed to the image of Christ, then you're here to carry out his work. And his work has not changed from the day that he arrived here and, until the day he will return. We are his people, the church, the body of Christ that fills all in all. In other words, we're his representatives. But in order to represent him, well, let's put it this way. Are there some people you know 
that you would want, that you would not want them to represent you, let's say, in a court of law before a judge, or represent you to a group of people. And you have, the reason you don't want them to represent you is that you're just not sure about them. Uh, their mannerisms, they can be rough, they can, you know, just, it's just, a, you know, let's get somebody else to do this, this, this job. But why do we do that? Because we want to be represented in the best light possible, don't we? We want to have somebody that represents us. I'm just thinking of something now, but I'm not going to go there. But <clears throat> So our job then is to do the work that he said. Now remember this. Jesus made this promise to his disciples. He said, the works that I do, greater works than these, you shall do because why? I go to the Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, right? So now I've had all kinds of debates with other pastors and different things, not so much of debates, but conversations. What did Jesus actually mean? And then th this is where it all changes. They'll say, well, we can't do greater works than him. So <clears throat> what it means is that when you look at the whole church, we're doing the work of Jesus. Well, that sounds pretty reasonable, but think of it this way. Supposing all of us at one time, we're doing the work of Jesus, and I'll put it another way. We do the work of Jesus, and the works are not greater than what Jesus did, or it's only greater because we're doing them. But listen, that's why Jesus left. He left because he wanted to be in us and work through us. So the whole idea is, yes, he can do those works, but there's nothing that he can't do. And you've heard of people with growing limbs, literally, in, the, uh, in, the, in, in various places around the world, miracles that have happened. And it's not that it's just more. Some of the miracles Jesus didn't even perform. They're greater miracles. So now, let's talk about that. How do we view Jesus? Now, he's our redeemer. He's our savior, the propitiation for our sins. He took the punishment that was due us. He satisfied the the anger or the wrath of God. He paid the price for our sins and going back from one sin all the way to the end, and not just us, but for the, for the world. But they have to embrace it by receiving him. Now, if I were to look at it this way, here's what you would think about Jesus. You'd see him enduring his earthly ministry. You'd know him as a man of authority who could speak a word, heal the sick, cast out a demon even from afar. And the Holy Spirit, though, spoke to the Apostle Paul. And he gave him another revelation of Jesus. And if I can follow this for a moment. And what I'm going to do is share what I would call some God and me and me and God verses. Or put it this way. You, God and me, and you and God. So I want you to personalize this. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, For the love of Christ compels us. So that tells you something about his relationship with him. Because we judge thus, that one died for all, then all died. Meaning we have a new life. See, we, we have this, well, I'll tell you what, you really got to think about what Christianity is like today compared to what it says in the Word. So he goes and says, one died, all died. 
And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Got that? In other words, he died for us. Well, he saved us. He did. But he saved us for a purpose. He had a purpose in mind for our salvation, for each and every one of us. And then he says, therefore, now this is this very interesting verse. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. Now what is, what's he saying here? He knew, they knew Christ according to the flesh. They saw him as a man, ministering as a man. But now here's the thing. Didn't I say that we have to carry out his work? Isn't that the truth? So now, what is Paul getting at here? What is he saying? In fact, he goes on to say something else which is very interesting. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So what we find here in, in this verse is that Christ now, he's looking, not, he's looking at us having died in Christ, being in Christ, now alive, but now he sees us differently. He doesn't see us just as Ron Tannerello or Jake Murray or whatever it may be in the, in the flesh, but he's seeing us as a different kind of a person because of what he has done for us and because of what he has put in us. But now, how do we live that life? We live it by faith. But how do we have faith? I mean, Jesus died, he rose again, he went up into heaven. But we have to come to know Jesus in some different ways, and that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is getting to right here. In Colossians 1 and verse 13, he says, For he delivered us from the power of darkness, that's the Father, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. So now we see that we have a position in God. God says this is what we have. This is who we are. This is where we are. Don't look at yourself as just living on planet Earth. Now think of this a little bit bigger. Think of yourself as living with Christ. You're in another, you might say we're living or seated with God in the heavenly places. So we have to view ourselves differently. When we view ourselves differently now and we have to minister in Christ's name, do we have the power? Or does God have the power? Think about it. God has the power. We have authority, but God has the power. So he goes on to say this. This is just what you have. Then he says about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. You want to know what God is? Take a look at him. The firstborn over all creation. Now what he's talking about is the new creation. He's talking about you and me. I want you to think about that. New creation. So what is it? He, Christ came. He's not just, what shall I say, the first of, of men. Yes, he became a man. But now what he's saying is, now he's the firstborn. There's something different about him, and there's something different about me and you. But you need to see it that way. All right? So then he goes on to say, for by him all things were created 
that are in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. This is the God we serve. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Now, those are hard things to grasp because they're metaphorical and they're spiritual, but they're true. And then he says, and he's the head of the body. Now we can get. He's the head of the body, which is you and me, the church, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. That's the first resurrected person that in all things he may have preeminence. What's preeminence? First place. Well, that first place, some synonyms for, pre, uh, synonyms for preeminence are ascendancy, uh, primacy, superiority, incompatibility, comparability, authority, dominance, excellence, eminence, renown, and prestige, and that's a lot and a lot more that Jesus is. And that he has. He's over all things. So that's one thing. So he, he is now the God himself. We're seeing that. He's the son of God. God the son. He has all of this power. He created all of these things. This is the person we're believing. You, you follow what I'm saying? To you? This is the person we're believing. And not only are we believing. But we're a new person believing him. In other words we're that new creation. That he said we are. And I like to go that way, even though people say, well, we're sinners, et cetera, et cetera. That's all true in a sense. But the same thing, thing is this. Are we supposed to continue in sin? Well, yes or no? No. Well, how do we do that? By faith. And I see some of these guys, some of these old guys that wrote things, and they'll say that this a person that's living in sin, says that they're a Christian and living in sin, well, they haven't learned to walk in faith at all. And you say, well, wow. Because we always think of faith in the spectacular things. But we're talking about it personality-wise here. I mean, character-wise, power-wise. So when we consider the nature of faith, the connection between faith in God and his promise becomes clearer. Now, we already said that. So let's talk about Ephesians, another uh, he-me scripture. So blessed be the God and Father, Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Where are all the blessings? I used to think they were in heaven. Where are the blessings? They're in Christ. They're in the blesser. Understand, if you have Christ and you grow in your relationship with Christ, you grow in faith. You grow in his nature. It's, it's so simple. So what we try to do is, well, the word says this, the word says this, it does. But now this needs to become a reality in our life. Not just something we talk about, but something that we, we become. We become like him. And notice this now. That's what he is. He has every, we have every spiritual blessing in places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Here you read through that, but think about this. You're chosen. You just didn't happen to get saved. You heard the gospel. The Spirit of God 
worked in your heart. You responded. But if you look at this closely, you were chosen in him before the world was even made. He knew you. Made you part of this divine plan that he has. It's magnificent. It really is. But so are you. And he wants you to be revealed and be re here to reveal him. That's it. And then again, he says he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. You're adopted. What does that mean? Let's think about it in the, in the uh, Hebrew context or in the biblical context. Adopted. Did Joseph, in a sense, adopt Jesus? Right? Do you know when we talk about Jesus as being the descendant of David? His descendancy through David is through Joseph, through his adoption. In other words, when God looks at an adoption, it's the real thing. You're, you're his real child. You're his, you're his son. You're his daughter. It's not just, well, I'm kind of just, no, you're part of the family of God, period. This is real. He wants you to know that it's real. And then he goes on to say this here. To the praise of his glory and grace. Okay, so he predestined us to adoption of sons through Jesus Christ himself. That was the intention of his will, right? From the beginning, before the foundation of the world. To, for us to be the praise of his glory, of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us through the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. I guess what I'm saying to you very simply is this here. When you, when you think about this, God knew you beforehand. He wants you to be secure. He wants you to know that you can walk before him. And he sees you as he expects you to become or as you are spiritually. The Father sees you that way. He doesn't say, oh, there's a sinner coming in here. No, he sees you in Christ. He sees you that way so you can walk before him. And then Ephesians uh, 1.3 says uh, again, well, we just read that. Um, so these are the things that I wanted to kind of speak to you about today in the issue of growing in your faith to God. Your faith in God and your faith can no, be no greater than the God and can, can accomplish no more than the God that you're believing in. If your God is somehow a little God that he can do things but he doesn't do them for you, for example, you're missing it. He wants these things done. He's called you for his purpose. So what he wants you to do is kind of just come to know him better. And he's made that way through his word, through the Holy Spirit, and we can be all that God's called us to be. So I want to end with that today, but I'd like you to kind of think this, this, like I said, it was a difficult message for a couple of reasons because some of the twists and turns that Murray had in there were hard to understand. Remember, it's written over 100 years ago. Now, I'm not reading Murray to you. I've kind of changed things around a little bit so it's more understandable to us. But the whole point is this here. God's got you. God wants you to know how great a God he is 
so that you can know how great a thing you can do, how great are the things that you can do. Do you get that? That's very important for you to know. It's not you. But if you get close to God, it's God working through you. It's the opportunities he gives you in, at school, the opportunities he gives you in the supermarket, the opportunities he gives you in life at your place of work, wherever you are. He opens up doors, and now you have that, take that thing and don't be afraid. And let the Spirit of God lead you to interact with people and bring Christ to them. But you have to be able to just rest in him. Can you say amen this morning?